From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, presbyopia. When you buy rice in Tanzania, it comes with little rocks and bits of dirt and stick and stuff. They're the same color as the rice, and they're really hard to see and find, even when you're a young myop like I was. First this. I know many of the audience of As Seen From Here also watch my live conference interviews on ewreplay.org. These brief video programs highlight the most important news from major ophthalmology meetings and number in the hundreds every year. But if you haven't watched ewreplay.org recently, you've got to check it out. iWorld Replay has really upped its game with super video production and fantastic content. ewreplay.org. We've just renovated and we'd love to have you over. I think bioluminescence is the coolest thing. I love seeing fireflies and watching videos of deep-sea creatures illuminate themselves. These signals attract mates or food, and while humans are not exactly bioluminescent, there is one circumstance in which illumination serves a similar function. In every restaurant, a select group of people will turn on the lights on their phones to signal that they are 45. Of course, These folks are presbyopic and denying to themselves that they need reading glasses. I always thought of presbyopia as a distinctly first-world problem. Boy, was I wrong. After speaking with Tim Fricka, my guest today, about his study, I now see that presbyopia is a genuine public health issue. After hearing our conversation, I would be surprised if you don't agree. We're going to be talking about the global prevalence of presbyopia and the impact that it has But does it make sense to even ask about the prevalence of presbyopia? Isn't this identical to asking about the global age demographics? Um, It does seem so on the surface, Josh, but um, we're actually looking at a different type of presbyopia. We're looking at functional presbyopia rather than the presbyopia that we think of when we think from a clinic perspective. So from a clinic perspective, we're just looking at... uh, uh, who's losing their amplitude of accommodation and who so who can't change focus from distance to near. But in functional presbyopia, uh, we're looking at who can't see, who potentially can't see if they don't have uh, the correct pair of glasses um, at close up. So um, that then depends on a whole bunch of things other than just age. Uh, you have a variation across Uh, between people and across populations because of amplitude of accommodation that varies across different people. You have a difference because of pupil size variation. Um, Some communities uh, read almost in the dark because they uh, don't have uh, good electricity supplies and uh, and that sort of thing. So they have larger pupils and more affected by by their amplitude of accommodation issues. Um, you also have then the the effect of myopia rates. If you have low myopia, uh, you can't get functional presbyopia because you can, even if you have a pair of glasses for your low myopia, you can take those off um, and then you can see it near. So you never get functional presbyopia. So there's a whole bunch of different variables play into that uh, that idea as well as age. Tim, why is presbyopia a big deal? We 
used to think, uh, we being uh, the ophthalmic community, that uh, presbyopia would only matter to those people who read books or newspapers and that those people that can read and are illiterate, uh, are literate, uh, would have the wherewithal, the, the money and the, and the ideas to be able to get a pair of glasses to correct it. So, um, so those two things uh, we thought meant that presbyopia wasn't a big deal. Um, but it turns out, uh, as more studies have, have, have come, come out in the last 20 years, that neither of those two ideas is true. Um, you don't need to read uh, to be disabled by uh, presbyopia. And, uh, and there are lots of people in the world who can't get glasses as simple as, as, uh, as magnifiers to be able to read with. So um, to give an example... Um, the, there was a landmark study from Tanzania uh, in about 2006. By, there was written by the, the London School uh, Group, uh, the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, um, and they uh, they studied uh, uh, communities in in Tanzania, and they found that they they interviewed people, and they found what presbyopia was affecting in their lives and to give one example because um, I actually lived in Tanzania as well um, about 10 years before that um, before I was presbyopic when I was a young myope um, and when you buy rice in Tanzania it comes with additives let's say um, the additives are like uh, little rocks and bits of dirt and stick and stuff um, and the rocks particularly are really difficult to get out um, they're the same color as the rice and they're really hard to see and find even when you're a young myop like I was um, and when you don't find them and you, you 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 know you cook your rice up and then you eat it you you break teeth like these things are really hard and um, and they're really dangerous to people who are trying to just eat rice and something as simple as that um, and so uh, the the London School group uh, quantified this and they found that uh, that there are all sorts of things in people's lives that don't necessarily involve literacy and they're in rural communities um, and, uh, and, and it means that presbyopia is affecting people. The people who are sorting rice are often older women um, and if they can't find the rice then the whole family starts losing teeth because of the rocks in the rice. Uh, just to give one example. Um, and then over the last 20 to 30 years, uh, there's been obviously a massive change in the global demographics towards industrialization of previously quite rural and not particularly well-educated communities. So uh, factories for, for clothing have moved into parts of Africa where that were just rural previously um, and all over Latin America and Bangladesh and uh, Cambodia and other places and those places now there's there's people um, who are at a productive age um, in their 30s and 40s um, who can no longer see uh, to do the sorts of work um, that are now available in those countries so it's a there's a large um, community of people who are losing productivity and then losing income uh, through uh, just lack of glasses and, and the, the vision impairment that comes from presbyopia when you don't have corrections. Um, and it goes through not just 
low resource communities uh, in Africa and other places, but it goes right through uh, Europe and, and North America as well. Um, when you look at, I noticed a, a study from France that just came out this month in JAMA, of, uh, uh, JAMA Ophthalmology, um, and that study uh, found that there was, uh, within communities in uh, France, there are uh, 40% of people um, in uh, aged uh, 75 years and above who are uncorrected, who have not been able to get a correction for uh, something as simple as presbyopia. So neither of the two assumptions we had that um, presbyopia only affected people that read and that uh, people who need them can get glasses, neither of those two things are true. Really, really interesting. I mean, obviously, I'm sure, as is the case with most of the listeners, when I think presbyopia, I mean, I, I, obviously, what I'm thinking about is 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 reading, and I, I you know, can't can't imagine anything beyond that. And, and you 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 make a really good case. Um, are there population based statistics about presbyopia, uh, and, and, and which countries gather such data? Yeah, um, there are. Um, so the, the Tanzanian study stands out for a start um, that, uh, that they, they gathered this data. For, for in the 1990s and before, near vision was not included in, um, in the large studies. So, so countries that did national um, data collections, um, uh, national studies of vision impairment uh, did not include near vision in those studies before about 1999. Um, and then meetings at uh, uh, the World Health Organization, WHO, um, and the IAPB, the International Agency for the Prevention of Blindness, um, both agreed um, that uh, it should be included because it uh, they had a the inkling was there that it was uh, that, it, that it was affecting people's lives. So from then onwards, so let's say this century, um, the the uh, near vision has been included in in all in most studies of uh, large population studies. So there's a there's a good selection from around the world. I think we had uh, about thirty uh, from memory uh, that fed into our. Study. Um, there are various uh, qualities, um, and there's there's about fifteen or sixteen that are spotted around the world in in many different uh, regions of the world um, that give really high quality data, and then a smattering of others, about ten or fifteen others that are uh, give lower quality um, evidence. Um, but yeah, there, there's a good good selection from around the world. Um, uh, covering Africa, covering Latin America, covering South Asia, covering East Asia, Australia, um, and uh, parts of Northern Europe as well. Yeah, so so good good selection um, of, of population based data about the vision impairment, uh, near vision impairment, um, and about presbyopia as well. You developed an epidemiologic model for presbyopia prevalence. Can I get you to describe this model? Yeah. Um, so instead of um, looking at purely 
near vision impairment, which would not have revealed data about how many people needed glasses for reading or near activities, um, we went back and we looked at amplitude of accommodation data. And there are four high quality studies from around the world uh, defining amplitude of accommodation. Um, one from the United States on a mixed population, um, and so a settler type population, which would apply very well in Australia, for example, New Zealand, uh, Canada, um, other settler type populations. Um, and one from uh, India, uh, one from Hong Kong, so one uh, quantifying South Asia, one quantifying East Asia, and one from Africa. And we took those amplitude of accommodation uh, data and we applied then uh, the, uh, the, the rates of myopia and the rates of hyperopia to those amplitudes. And we figured out using cumulative probability um, how many of the people of each age uh, are likely to have um, presbyopia as we would quantify it clinically. So people who can't see it at near and need a pair of reading glasses. And that figure comes out to 1.8 billion people in the world have that type of presbyopia. We then needed to find out how many of those people were vision impaired at near. So how many people um, don't, aren't, aren't able to access glasses? Um, and so that's a whole new set of, of data. Um, it's about 35, I think there was, studies um, on near glasses, um, presbyopic type glasses. And, uh, and so we analysed those and then came up with another model to apply to uh, against the people who um, didn't have enough amplitude of accommodation to see it near, um, to, and that varied depended on, depending on their refractive error. Um, and we, we multiplied the two and then came up with the figure for how many people who would be vision impaired, and that was 826 million people around the world. Now, here's a question that's similar to questions that I've asked dealing with myopia prevalence, which, as you know, mm. is a huge topic too. Uh, are there factors yeah. that influence the age of onset of presbyopia in different populations, in different demographics or geographic yeah. areas, socioeconomic groups? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, myopia is a big one, as, as you say. Uh, so the, the more low myopia you have in, in the presbyopic kind of age group, uh, the less functional presbyopia you're going to see there. So um, uh, Asia is the, the place you think of with, with, uh, with uh, high rates of, of myopia. So we expect that there's less functional presbyopia there. But there are lots of other factors too, factors that play into uh, the amplitude of accommodation, for example. So um, and there's similar things that, uh, that affect uh, the onset of cataract. So um, the more 
oxidization processes you're exposed to throughout your life, the quicker your lens hardens and the, the quicker it uh, opacifies as well. So, um, so smoking, for example, and UV light exposure, um, oxidization processes um, will bring on presbyopia earlier. Um, Antioxidization processes, so uh, a good diet, um, for example, um, will delay the onset of um, presbyopia and cataract. So, um, so there's those uh, issues feeding into the amplitude of accommodation. It's also issues feeding into pupil size. So, um, where are people um, doing their near activities? Are they doing them inside? Are they doing them outside? Um, uh, what are the light levels that are happen when when those activities are being done? Um, uh, is there electricity for for them to do the activities that uh, you know with with uh, artificial lighting at night time? So you get you get you'll get regional variation um, through those sort of factors. Um, and the the one that stands out is is India and South Asia that that it seems to be that that's the place that that gets uh, cataract and presbyopia earlier than anywhere else on Earth, uh, and it comes out in multiple studies uh, that uh, that it's up to ten years earlier um, in those populations than anywhere else. Really, really interesting. Oh, and then the socioeconomic feeds into that. So within India, um, you'd expect that uh, that the that the 300 million people that live in in uh, in you know quite luxurious kind of conditions and then have diets uh, as we do in the West that uh, that you know with antioxidants and they don't spend all day out in the fields uh, you know uh, tending uh, tending rice and whatever that that those people would would uh, would actually delay the onset of their uh, presbyopia and cataract, uh, whereas the 900 million people in in India who are who are living a rural lifestyle perhaps get them earlier. So, socioeconomics within a community will will play into um, into the uh, into the um, the effects as well. Tim, what was the question that your study sought to answer? Um, what we really wanted to know was how many people are vision impaired at near. Um, that was that was the, the core question. Uh, how many people are vision impaired at near? And and so uh, as, as a first point of so what are we going to do about it? Um, but uh, how many people are vision impaired at near? How many? What what's what what are the supply chains that are needed? What supplies of presbyopic glasses are needed throughout the world world in different places? Um, and uh, once you have an idea of the scale. Um, you know, there's all sorts of well, there's questions that come off of that, and then there's uh, hopefully the answers start to flow. As in, um, well, okay, you need these um, these this cater of of, uh, of ophthalmic workers to to deliver um, to deliver the answers, and you need um, you need these supply chains in the um, in the optical industry to, to be able to, to supply to these places. Um, so there's, there's a lot of questions that come off our, um, our primary question, but our primary question was simply how many people are there who are uh, vision impaired at near um, and so need help with, with that uh, for, um, because of presbyopia. And Tim, what were your results? What were your, your findings? 
Uh, I mentioned before that uh, that the, the 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 primary findings were that there are 1.8 billion people uh, who are affected uh, by presbyopia, functional presbyopia, so the sort of presbyopia that if you don't have glasses, you can't see it near. So we've excluded the low myopes, um, excluded the people with extremely small pupils who can just see anyway. Um, and then uh, applying the rates of, of non-correction, we come up with 826 million people uh, who can't see it near because they can't get um, any glasses or they can only get inadequate glasses uh, to correct their presbyopia. So they're the primary findings. Then if you, if you dig down, um, we've, we've analysed those for different uh, regions and communities um, and it stands out that, uh, that South Asia has uh, a massive problem in terms of numbers and, uh, and that Africa, um, sub-Saharan Africa particularly, has a massive problem in terms of uh, percentage of people who are affected by this. Tim, this is something that, that you dealt with before, but I, I just want to sort of spell it out now. What is the difference between presbyopia and vision impairment at near? Presbyopia, uh, I think of as a clinician, uh, is, is anybody who comes in and says, I can't focus from distance to near. Um, but again, um, uh, I happen to be a, a relatively low myope, so I can take my glasses off. And so uh, my, my ophthalmic practitioner could just say, well, take your glasses off and your problem's solved. So I do not have functional presbyopia. But someone else who comes in who might be hyperopic or emetropic and getting to a particular age um, can have functional presbyopia because they'll come in and say, I can't see up close. And there's nothing... I, as a practitioner, can say, um, other than uh, here's a pair of glasses, um, to, to correct that problem. So that, that person with emetropia and, uh, or, or hyperopia um, and a lack of amplitude of accommodation um, has functional presbyopia. Then on top of that, the third stage is what if that person cannot get a pair of glasses if, they, if there are no shops nearby that they can buy those glasses at, if there are no, uh, if that person has no money uh, to purchase um, even, even a simple pair of ready-made readers, um, then that's a problem for that person. Or if they don't have the knowledge and I, the practitioner, don't give them the knowledge um, to be able to um, fill a prescription that I write out for them. Um, so... That, that person then becomes uh, someone with near vision impairment. Um, a near vision impairment, um, in terms of population studies, also has one other factor um, that, that, that precludes um, other people. Uh, so people with uh, cataract, for example, or, or glaucoma vision impairment, or... Uh, macular degeneration vision impairment because uh, the population data um, specifically um, takes them out and, and says, well, they've got vision impairment as a whole, but it's not just near vision impairment. Um, so the, the, the population data says you've got to have better than uh, 2040 vision, um, I think uh, is the definition, 2040 vision for distance. Um, 
and uh, and then but but then be uh, unable to see it near past a certain uh, quantification. I think it's N8 at uh, 40 centimetres is the usual definition that's used. Evidence suggests an increase in, in myopia in industrialised countries. To what extent will this offset the increase in presbyopia resulting from an ageing world population? Yeah, it'll certainly take the sting out of it. Um, so we, in our uh, publication uh, in ophthalmology, um, we had a, a projected data out to 2050, and we actually find that the uh, the prevalence of uh, functional presbyopia is peaking about now, in about as we speak in 2019, um, and that it'll start. The prevalence will start to go down. Um, so we're peaking at about 25% of the population, um, and that that will start to decrease as the effects of myopia come in, and it'll decrease to about 20%. By 2050, so it doesn't go away completely. It's still there as a as a significant problem, um, but uh, but it will will start to decrease. The actual numbers, there's a delay because of the aging of populations across the world. Um, the peak of the number of people experiencing functional presbyopia keeps increasing till about 2040, in our prediction and then starts to drop off um, through a combined effect of that we think um, the, the, the growth in the aging population will, will start to, um, to decrease by that stage and then the effects of uh, myopia come in also and start to decrease the numbers with, uh, with functional presbyopia as well. So yeah, the, the rates of myopia will affect um, this presbyopia problem, but it won't make it go away. It'll still be there in significant numbers and significant prevalence levels, just not quite as high as what we see today. To what extent is optical correction available to presbyopes with near vision impairment in the developing world? And just in terms of, of magnitude, is, is this something uh, that's a problem for, for many people? Yeah, it is. Um, the poorest uh, supply, the, the most under-resourced communities in the world um, have correction rates down to around 4%, where only the elite of a community can get access to something as simple as ready-made glasses for presbyopia. Um, our model um, worked on a combination of factors. So it was a, a model that, that suggests, when, when we analysed across the 35 or 36, how many it was, um, uh, studies of the rates of correction, uh, we found that the best model that fitted that data across different countries uh, was affected by human development index, um, which is a combined... Um, index indice of that combines uh, health, wealth, and education. Um, and so, the the better developed a community was, um, the less um, there would be people, the fewer people that were uncorrected. 
But there was also two other things that played into the model. There was health expenditure. So the more a community spends on health, um, the less non-correction there is. And also inequality was the third factor. The more inequality there is in a community, that goes the other way. So the more inequality means more non-correction. So you've got two factors that reduce the number of people who are suffering vision impairment at near. They are more development and more health expenditure. And then you've got one factor that makes it worse. So the more inequality you have, the less likely that people are to, to be corrected. And so when you, when you play out those three variables, um, you get, uh, you get um, great variation across the world where you get to places like the US and Australia, uh, where we're speaking between at the moment, who have virtually 100% um, correction. And, you know, you can dispute that because I, I can certainly go out in my hometown of Melbourne and I can find communities of homeless people that, that won't have corrections for presbyopia. So it's disputable. But, but on a whole population basis, um, it's close to 100% correction. Um, and then you get places down to uh, around the 4% correction mark. So, so there's great variation across different communities in the world. Do you have any thoughts about how this problem might be addressed? And is it sufficient at this point merely to draw attention to, to, the, to the problem? Yeah, I guess that was the, the end point of our paper was to draw attention to it. But, but we do want to go further. Like it's, it's, not, it's obviously not a useful thing just to, to sit back and say, well, they're there and that's it kind of thing. That's all that can be done. Um, so, so the questions that we think spin off from our paper are about how to deliver um, deliver the, the the care that's needed, and um, you know you, you get you get any sorts any number of answers, potential answers that 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 um, that, that people put forward from it, uh, and there's there's forums around the world, uh, the, the IFPB who I mentioned before, uh, the WHO. Um, you know, these are global um, think tanks that uh, that talk about how to deliver the care that's needed and expand the care that's needed to to um, uh, to deliver the services that are needed. Um, the, the suggestions have ranged from anything. You know, you can get an aeroplane and drop out the back of it uh, a range of of uh, ready-made glasses and into rural communities in Africa, and that will solve the problem. Uh, through to um, you know training um, extra completely new caters of, of workers uh, to uh, to go out and uh, um, measure um, near vision impairment and uh, and then deliver um, the necessary glasses um, or to incorporate it within ophthalmology optometry or other caters that already exist in places so, so there's a whole lot of um, different um, uh, levels of care and uh, um, and, and styles of, of of delivery that have been talked about and probably apply to different extents uh, in in different communities and the communities themselves, the governments in those communities, uh, governing those communities need to to be involved to choose the right one. There's got to be local input into that. Um, and then also there's the optical side of it. So um, does does the do we rely on 
uh, private industry? Do we rely on um, for-profit industry um, to deliver the 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 the, uh, the optical outcomes that 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 we think are needed? Um, do we lean on the big companies, the you know the Essilor, Luxottica? Um, Kind of behemoth uh, sort of company in, in optical services, um, or um, or is it um, or should it be uh, not for profit organisations who are um, who are delivering for the purpose of preventing vision impairment um, rather than for the purpose of making profit? Um, there are lots of questions that spin off these large numbers that that we've published. Um, and exactly what the answers are, I think, come down to, to local wants and needs and opportunities. Yeah, so, so it's, uh, but it plays out in different ways in different places. Really, really, really interesting stuff. Tim, thank you for the time that you've spent with me today. No problem, Josh. Uh, pleasure. Tim Fricker comes to us from Melbourne, Australia. His paper, Global Prevalence of Presbyopia and Vision Impairment from Uncorrected Presbyopia, Systematic Review, Meta-Analysis, and Modeling appears in the October 2018 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Fricka or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.